This morning's first reading from the Gospel comes from, uh, actually from the Bible, comes from Jeremiah, chapter 17, verses 5 through 8. Thus says the Lord, Cursed are those who trust in mere mortals and make mere flesh their strength, whose hearts turn away from the Lord. They shall be like shrub in the desert and shall not see when relief comes. They shall live in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. Blessed are those who trust in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. They shall be like a tree planted by water, sending out its roots by the stream. It shall not fear when the heat comes, and its leaves shall stay green. In the year of drought, it is not anxious and it does not cease to bear fruit. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Nadine, and thank you, choir. Uh, Well, first of all, for getting here today, uh, for that beautiful anthem and for that well-read reading. Uh, we've have, we have choir members coming from Pennsylvania this morning, so it's not easy on a day like this to get here. So thanks to everyone, especially uh, the privilege of just worshiping together virtually and in person. The reading from Jeremiah is a text which begins with uh, blessings and curses, uh, familiar to us in the New Testament as well, blessings in particular in the Beatitudes in the Sermon on the Mount, chapter 5 of Matthew's Gospel. This morning's New Testament reading is Luke's version of the Beatitudes. They are shorter and they take place in a different geographical uh, narrative setting. Uh, Listen now for what the Spirit is saying to you uh, in the sixth chapter of Luke's Gospel, beginning with the 17th verse. Jesus came down with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea, Jerusalem, and the coast of Tyre and Sidon. They had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases, and those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. And all in the crowd were trying to touch Jesus, for power came out of him and healed all of them. Parenthetically, that's a very Lucan comment. Luke, a physician, was always interested in the power that Jesus had just in his very presence to heal and to save. Then Jesus looked up at his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you will be filled. Blessed are you who who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you, revile you, and defame you on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for surely your reward is great in heaven. For that is what their ancestors did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you will be hungry. Woe to you who are laughing now, you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when all speak well of you, for that is what their ancestors did to the false prophets. But I say to you that, listen, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, 
pray for those who abuse you. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Oh God, your word to us is complicated and sometimes opaque and sometimes hard. Bless us as we seek to open our hearts and minds to what you would say to us this morning. And may the meditations of our hearts together upon this, your word to us, be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Blessed are you. Blessed are we. Those are nice words to hear, but the way Luke delivers them on the lips of Jesus, they're hard words today. Because on the surface, they don't really make a lot of sense. The other day, on the very first day of this spring semester's class I'm teaching at the seminary in New York City, I asked the students, about nine of them, to introduce themselves, for us all to introduce ourselves to each other, uh, by telling our worship story. In other words, because the class is on worship, Presbyterian worship, so I was interested in hearing about the students' influences in their worship experience, the churches, the preachers, the parents maybe, uh, the people they knew or sat near in the pews as they were growing up, that combined to make them fall in love with worship, to want to be ministers, pastors, worship leaders. Uh, And after all the students were done telling their amazing stories, suddenly it was my turn. And because I had other things on my mind, like who to call upon next and where I put my syllabus and all that kind of stuff, and I'm the teacher, uh, I hadn't really given it a lot of thought. So as I started talking, I heard myself saying that for me, worship in church started out kind of feeling negative. And not just because my parents made me get up and go. It wasn't that I was bored in church as a kid, though sometimes, to be honest, I was. No, over time, I realized growing up in church that the message I heard consistently in worship was that being a good Christian was all about being good, being well-behaved. In my day as a kid, being a good, well-behaved American Christian. Blessed are the meek. I was told. Because Jesus one time up on a mountain had said something like that. Blessed are the poor in spirit. The meek get to inherit the earth. The poor in spirit get to see God. Blessed are the merciful, they told us, for they will get mercy back. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for what is right. Because theirs I was told, was the kingdom of heaven. And that's all from the Sermon on the Mount, which, as I mentioned, comes from Matthew, and with which most of us are more familiar than the text we're reading from Luke today. Blessed are the ones who are good or try to be good. And I wanted to be good as a young person. I mostly tried to be good, and most of the time I was pretty good. This might surprise you. I wasn't always good. And what I learned early on in Christian worship was 
If I was going to feel welcome, if I was going to live up to the standard that they were telling me, I had to pretend a lot of the time in worship that I was better and gooder, so to speak, than I really was. And as time went on, as I got a little bit older, that didn't work for me very well. And when I had a chance, after about confirmation, I stopped going. You know the story about the church that tried to get rid of the squirrels, right? Have I told that story? Right? They tried traps, humane traps, and they tried poison. Didn't work. Finally, they went to the priest and said, how do we get rid of these squirrels? He said, just confirm them. You won't see them again. Well, today we get a different set of Beatitudes, this time from Luke. Luke gives us a set of conditions that make us blessed, or blessed, as he says. But Luke, in the delivery of the same kind of message, distinguishes himself, separates himself from Matthew in a big way by putting a much sharper edge on his blessings, and maybe even a more helpful one. Luke starts us off by announcing how different his version of the Beatitudes is going to be. He says Jesus came down from the mountain with them to a flat place or a level place. The old translations of this text in Luke said to the plain. In fact, the Beatitudes in Luke, which are shorter than Matthew, Matthew's Beatitudes begin a very long sermon on the mount. Luke has a much more condensed version. They're, the Beatitudes in Luke are known as the Sermon on the Plain, which means, yes, that Jesus preaches at the same place where the rain in Spain stays mainly, right? On the plain, flat, not a mountain. No lofty peaks, no imagery or evocation of Moses on Mount Sinai, which is what Matthew does with Jesus on the mountain. And then, sure enough, as I mentioned, before Jesus even starts to talk, Luke makes a point of mentioning the crowds which are pushing around him along with the disciples just to touch him, to get an experience of his saving power, the restoration of health, which Luke always emphasizes comes with Christ. People are desperate to touch him, to listen to him, be near him. They know something good will happen. They just don't know what and they don't know at what cost. And that is when Jesus starts to talk about who is really blessed or blessed or happy in the deepest sense of the word. What does it mean to be happy in the deepest sense of the word? Well, in a book entitled Destination Happiness by the writer Mark Recklow, uh, the author ask that question, and then he poses this dilemma for us. He says, who do you think is happier? People who have just won the Powerball lottery or people who have just become paralyzed after a tragic accident? Recklau says that we might be surprised at the answer. Here's what he found. Yes, Recklau reports, the lottery winners were very happy initially, but not for very long. After six months, in fact, most of them reported, after this very careful study, that they went back to, reverted to their previous levels of happiness, in spite of the fact that they had big houses and big cars and probably bigger problems. On the other hand, Recklau reports, the accident victims were definitely sad, devastated at the beginning of their experience, but after about six months reported themselves starting to go back to their previous levels of happiness, of a sense of self. And Recklau invites us to think about that for a moment. Six months later, both groups, those who had won the lottery and those who had been paralyzed in an accident, 
had returned to their previous state of happiness, more or less. And I don't know what that says to you, but to me it says that happiness is an inside job. Blessedness is an internal reality, an inside job. And Jesus today in Luke is on to that truth. As Americans, you and I count our, as part of our heritage the blessings of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. But again, what is that? Is happiness something that can be achieved by pursuing it? A lot of people pursue happiness their whole lives and never catch it. Is happiness, blessedness, peace, fulfillment, contentment, deep contentment, the product of circumstances or surroundings? Is blessedness equal to having enough money in the bank, a secure retirement, a diploma on the wall, the respect and affection of people you know? Or does it perhaps mean something and depend upon something entirely different? Think about that again as we think about what Luke is saying, uh, giving to us today in this Sermon on the Plain. What, will it, what would it take to make you truly blessed, happy, content? Jesus talked about happiness. He talks about happiness here today in Luke, but not in the same way that you and I usually talk about it. As a matter of fact, Jesus today turns what it means to be truly happy and blessed as human beings on its head. He turns it all upside down. Not only does Luke have Jesus give us fewer Beatitudes than Matthew does on the Sermon on the Mount, Luke's Beatitudes are much, much more demanding. Matthew says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who want what is right, who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. That could be anybody, really. You just got to feel a certain way, right? You got to feel, feel merciful and poor in spirit, and you're going to be blessed. But Luke says, not blessed are the poor in spirit. Luke says, blessed are the poor, the people with very little money with fewer resources than the rest of us, fewer opportunities than most. Blessed are the poor, Jesus says. He doesn't backtrack, he doesn't spiritualize, he doesn't hedge his bets at all. Not just the deserving poor either. Blessed, he says, are the poor. That's what the Greek says. Blessed are those who are actually hungry now. Not people who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are those who want a meal, who need some food. And then there's more, in case it wasn't hard enough for us. Jesus here lists these blessings and then goes on to list some curses, too. Picking up on Jeremiah, who had blessings and curses. They're they're called here in Luke, the woes. Woe to you, Jesus says ominously, who are rich. Woe to you who are full now, who aren't hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, who are having a good time, enjoying life. Woe to you when all speak well of you. Say what? Aren't those the things that we're shooting for in life? When I was younger and when I heard Jesus preach the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew, up there on that famous high place, that mountain, telling me in the nicest way possible that I had to be good, that I had to get in line, 
that I should be poor in spirit and meek and merciful and put my best foot forward, kind of like a good Boy Scout. That was all fine. And it worked pretty well for me until it didn't. Because I wasn't always good, as I said. I didn't always perform well. I disappointed other people and myself. And more importantly, I knew deep down that because I wasn't always good, and because, in fact, I didn't always believe completely and perfectly, I was probably undeserving of blessedness. That's a painful place to be when you can't feel that you are honest in the presence of God. But here on the flat plain in Luke, Luke's memory of that same sermon says, you're blessed, I'm blessed, we're closest to God, filled and fulfilled in the deepest kind of way, when we're on the outside looking in, when we don't feel like we have everything all together, when things aren't going so well, when our life is like a brown paper bag, in fact, when I'm poor, lacking, when I'm hungry, empty, when I need money and don't have any, when I have nothing else to count on or rely on or delude myself with, you could say, Blessed are you who are missing something. The Beatitudes in Matthew really are so easily spiritualized. You're blessed, we say to ourselves, if we feel a certain way, but Luke hardens and sharpens what Jesus has to say to us about what happiness means. Woe to you, you're going to have problems, in other words, he's saying. You're going to be unhappy if you set your sights on belonging and doing well and being good in any kind of conventional way. There's nothing wrong with those things in and of themselves, but they are not the source of true happiness. It's just Jesus is saying here today that being in the top third of your class and getting a good annual review and even being successful in all the metrics that we have, getting your kids into the best college, having a great time with family and friends, that is not what it is really all about because there's more. And the truth is, all of us, every last one of us, no matter how well we're doing on the outside, no matter how shiny the wrapping paper is, all of us, at times, feel alienated, feel remorseful, feel broken, feel alone, feel full of regret. We all do, always, at different degrees. And Jesus is saying to you, those parts of you are blessed as well. Jesus is saying to us, all of you are blessed, not just parts of you, not just the best parts. That's good news. The question is, can we trust it? Can we build our lives on it? Because that takes a little courage to believe that, that you're blessed when you're hungry deeply, when you're poor, when you're missing something, and not just when you're behaving well, performing well. Did you hear it at the end of the passage in Luke? Today, Jesus then doubles down. You're going to be blessed, he says, in fact, when you keep turning the world on its head and going against your intuition, when you love your enemies, when you do good to those who hate you, when you bless even those who curse you, even those who abuse you. Those are hard words to hear. And yet Jesus says, that's the secret to blessedness turning the world upside down, trusting me enough to love even those people who are giving you 
to make you suffer. A world turned upside down, to quote the musical Hamilton. A faith turned upside down is what we get this morning in the Gospel of Luke and the Sermon on the Plain. I'm telling you, Jesus is saying to us this morning, when you're completely on the outside, even if no one else knows it but you, you're in with me. I'm not going to abandon you. You are blessed because I love you. Our quote today at the top of our bulletin is from the really interesting voice, Nadia Boltz Weber, the Lutheran pastor at the Church for Sinners and Saints in Denver, Colorado. She's one of my recent heroes. Uh, uh, she's really an interesting person, former addict, tatted all the way up to her neck, very thoughtful, interesting perspective. And she has a new version of the Beatitudes, which she's shared with us and which I've shared with you. They go like this, blessed are they who doubt, blessed are those who aren't sure, those who can still be surprised. Blessed are those for whom loss and death are not abstractions. Blessed are they who can't fall apart because they have to keep it together for somebody else. Blessed are those whom no one else notices. Blessed are the forgotten. Blessed are the closeted, the kids who sit alone. Blessed are the offenders, the mistake makers, the ones who can't catch a break. For Jesus chose to surround himself with people like them. Blessed are the foster kids and the different kids and every other kid who just wants to feel safe and loved. Blessed are the burned out caregivers and the overworked teachers and the pro bono case takers. Blessed are the ones who step between the bullies and the weak. Blessed are they who hear that they are forgiven. Blessed is everyone who has ever forgiven me when I didn't deserve it. Blessed are the merciful. Nadia Volsweber says, because they totally get it. It sounds nice, doesn't it? But what Jesus says in this here today in this Sermon on the Plain is an even harder truth. I don't know about you, but I can't get all that excited about people hating me and persecuting me and observing, I mean, abusing me and excluding me and rejecting me and insulting me. Yet that's what he's saying. That's when I'm supposed to love them most and feel most blessed. But from the beginning, even when I heard church sort of telling me to go along, to get along, to be good, to show up on my best behavior, and to hide all the parts of me that I wasn't too proud of, always, uh, Jesus always, when I would listen to him, not the church or even the ministers, but him, Jesus always seemed to be flipping the script, always saying, no, you have to be willing to be counterintuitive to be honest with me and with yourself, to admit the truth of your whole life and be willing to go against the grain, even be willing to lose everything you've got before you're ever going to find what I've got waiting for you, which is blessedness, true peace and happiness. Most of us, most of the time, would rather it be easy, clear-cut, but Jesus says, nope, Today, especially, he says, no, it's not when you're laughing or comfortable or have everything you and your family need. Happiness, blessedness can only really come, lasting happiness, from my love for you. Are you and I ready to be blessed like that, is the question. Because that is not a popular way to go, even within the world of Christianity. It's a hard truth, in part because we don't want to believe it. We'd like to go along with the crowd, 
We'd rather trust the best of ourselves, right? The deserving part of ourselves. And not simply and only the love and grace which God promises each and every person in the world, no matter who they are, through Jesus Christ. A few years ago, the psychologist Ruth Berenda carried out an interesting experiment with teenagers designed to show how we all really eventually would rather go along with the crowd than sort of the, rare, the very rare among us who are willing to continue to keep our own mind, our own thoughts, our own faith perspectives. The plan in this experiment was simple. They brought 10 teenagers into a room for a test. Each group of 10 was instructed to raise their hands when the teacher pointed on three separate charts to a set of lines. And Whenever the teacher pointed to the longest line, they were supposed to raise their hands. What one person in each group did not know was that the other nine teenagers had been instructed ahead of time not to vote for the longest line, but always to raise their hands when the second longest line was pointed to. No matter what, they were supposed to do that. So one teenager always thought that they were all supposed to be voting for the longest line, but the rest intentionally, secretly, were voting for the second longest line. And you can guess what happened. At first, the lone teenager was out of step with the rest of his or her peers. Pretty soon, though, as the questions kept happening, and they kept observing the rest of the crowd, the other nine, pointing to the second longest line, the subject, the one, would look around, frown in confusion, and finally slip their hand up with the rest of the crowd, even though he or she knew they were voting for the obviously wrong answer. Time and again, the subject of the experiment would sit there and be willing to lie to themselves even, saying that a shorter line is the long line simply because they lacked the courage to challenge the group. And we do that too. I do that all the time. But today on the plane in New Jersey or wherever you happen to be this morning, Jesus asks you and me to have the courage to go against the crowd, to believe in a world and a faith turned upside down to go against our preconceived notion of what it means to be blessed and to trust in a faith completely flipped, one that leaves us just alone with the God who loves us so infinitely, so faithfully in Christ, who loves you and every part of you, not just the shiny ones, and not just when things are going right, but all of you, all of us, all the time. Amen.